You know, speaking of storms, El Nino has given us a winter of storms that we won't soon forget. We recall the television uh, times when we saw houses falling in from the cliffs, whole towns flooded and clogged freeways, and general feelings of gloom because we hadn't seen the sun in so long. In fact, it was a treat today to look out and see the sun. We take that for granted after a long winter without seeing it. You know, I was looking back on some sermons in the 80s, though, and it's interesting how we humans are. Uh, during that period of drought and water rationing, if you might recall, we had special prayer in this church for rain. And now some of you have told me recently to stop praying for rain, and it's like God really overwhelmed us with his response. You see, when it comes to weather, too much of any kind really isn't good. All sun makes a desert, El Nino makes floods. And I was reflecting on this and on our text and thinking, you know, what's true for weather is really true in life. Now, while none of us go out and seek storms of challenge and testing and hardship, one thing is certain, in retrospect, as we, after we go through them and look back, we usually consider that they had value. Now, today's text is about a storm at sea. If you've ever been at sea, you can identify with where Paul is. I don't think there's anything more frightening in my memories than to have been at sea in a very small boat with very big waves and feeling very much out of control. This storm is a, a, it creates a story that's filled with adventure and suspense and ultimately shipwreck. But above all, it demonstrates some miraculous interventions of God, which were beyond even the imagination of the people who on that ship didn't know God. This storm went on, and we're told, for days. It blew with such intensity that those aboard Paul's ship literally lost all hope of being saved. Now, I pondered why Luke would devote so much of his book of Acts to this one event until I realized his point. This story reveals the power of the risen Christ watching over and protecting believers when life is just raging around us and everything seems out of control and when shipwreck seems certain. And I believe, as we were praying about this weekend, that God brought some of you here because you're in the midst of a storm or you will be in a storm, and you need to know and be reminded that you have a living, wonderful, loving Jesus Christ who's watching over you. He knows what's happening. He's in control. And at the right time and in the right place, he will intervene. Now, I'm calling that treasure of faith certain uncertainty. And what we mean by that is when a storm is raging, we're very uncertain about what God is going to do next. We just don't know what's going to happen. We're out of control. But we are certain of one thing. The end result after the storm is going to be good because Jesus said it would be. So I want us just for a moment to watch how this truth is played out in our text. First... Where we look for resources determines what we see when a storm is raging. That's very critically important to remember in the midst of a storm. You see, the majority of people on that ship, the passengers, looked only at the huge waves and the wind that was battering their little ship and threatening to tear it apart, and they concluded there was absolutely no hope. They were going to drown. If you think about it, you know, it's a terrible thing to give up hope. Our text reads, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, 
and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. That's a human being's extremity. Now, if, if you can feel the drama in this picture, contrast Paul, this little prisoner in the midst of a hopeless crowd. Where did Paul look? He didn't look at the waves and the storm. He looked up and beyond it to his God. And he cried out to his God for help. And he discovered an amazing gift of courage and hope that stood out like a light in that darkness. And, you know, Paul, being a Pharisee, certainly was familiar with the book of Psalms. And I imagine it was something like the 116th Psalm that took place in his heart when we read, The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. But then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, save me. And then be at rest, O oh my soul. For you, the Lord, have been good. For the Lord has been good to you. For you, O oh Lord, you've delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. You know, it's a great insight when you're in a position where you, you just don't see any answer. You're up against a wall. It's, it looks like a dead-end alley. And all of a sudden, you get this inbreak from God. Hey, God's going to do something. Death isn't going to win here. Life's going to win. And it, it was something like an insight that must have hit Paul's heart because God did send this message to Paul, and that's the one he shared with his shipmates. Again, catch the drama. Paul stands up. The ship is pitching. They haven't eaten in days. They're all really ready to die. And Paul says, last night, an angel of the God, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me. God was a Paul was a possessed man. He belonged to God. He was God's child, and God hadn't abandoned him. And the angel said, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. You know, as I prayed for you, I'm hoping if you're in a storm today, that that kind of insight's going to hit you in this service. That above the roar of the winds and the overwhelming challenge, decision, whatever you're bearing, you're going to hear the voice of God saying, don't be afraid, don't give up, I've got a plan, I love you, I'm going to save you. You see, Paul was expressing his profound trust in God. I belong to God and my life and well-being are God's responsibility. Because he's with me, I don't have to panic. And in a world out there where a lot of people live with repressed panic, we need lights of believers to shine and saying, we've got a God who's in control beyond all that's going on out there. We don't have to panic. We can live constructive, creative lives. You see, rather than certain death, Paul saw an opportunity for God to work a saving act. And that's what trust is all about. Lloyd Ogilvie tells the story of a man strolling with his granddaughter and they met an, an old man who proceeded to tell them a long tale of hopelessness, of all the things that was wrong in his life. And then he added this apology of saying, you know, I, I'm probably giving you this long diatribe because I'm suffering from a slight sunstroke. Well, the little girl didn't know what a sunstroke was, so she says, Grandpa, when, after the intruder had sort of shuffled off, I do hope that you'll never suffer from a sunset. And he, the point is obvious. 
As far as this story is concerned, you know, it's where we're looking in terms of what we see. The old man, his, he felt his life was over and all he could see was a sunset. It was all over. It was the end. There was no hope. But by looking up to our God rather than at our problems, what looks like a sunset can become a sunrise of opportunity. Not a disaster, not the end, but a beginning. And, and that's the gift I believe the Holy Spirit would give to you if you're in a storm today or if one hits next week. That God doesn't for, will for his children to live in a sunset mentality, but a sunrise mentality, clear up to that moment when we go to be with Jesus Christ. It's really true. Where we look for resources when storms rage has everything to do with either life being one long succession of giants that are going to overwhelm us and we live in a state of worry and tension and fear, or we're looking to a living God who works best in graveyards and we're filled with hope and optimism. And the choice is up to us. Where we look during trouble has everything to do with the quality of life we're going to enjoy. That's the first truth. Second, in response to Paul's prayers, God did intervene in specific ways to save him from the storm. I wonder when you pray, do you really expect interventions from God? I'm, I'm convinced that's one of the omission, sins of omission in the lives of most of us. I don't think we expect. I have a good friend who's been praying and we've been praying with him for a job. He's up in Washington and it had gone on for weeks. We kept praying with him, and it looked, we're, we were almost near the deadline. I just heard uh, yesterday that they had called and given him a job. And you know, one of the things that all of us believed, we didn't know if it was going to be that job, but we knew God was going to take care of him. And having that certainty in the midst of the uncertainty of waiting made all the difference. I wonder if you have that, that when you pray, do you believe God's going to intervene and save you? Look how he worked here in the story. God used first the affection of a hardened Roman centurion to spare Paul and all the prisoners from being put to death. Who would have thought that a centurion would risk his life in order to spare Paul's? But that's what happened. Because you see, by sparing the prisoners, if any one of them had escaped, the centurion and his band would have been put to death. That was Roman law. You lose a prisoner, you lose your life. But God used that secular-minded guy who had an affection for Paul, and he took a chance and saved the whole crew of prisoners. God intervened, even using a secular source. God can do anything. He surprises us. And then a second intervention was in the form of Paul's two friends, Luke and Aristarchus, who were aboard the boat with him. These two guys took care of Paul and the, because Romans made no provision for caring for prisoners. If they were fortunate enough, they had friends who would bring them food and care for them. And Paul had these two friends. There's a reason why week after week we encourage you in this huge church to get connected with other Christians here in a covenant group or some way. Because when storms come, and it's not if, it's when, the grace of Jesus Christ, his healing, his comfort, his power, usually comes enfleshed in the lives of friends there for us. And those of you who've been through it know exactly what I'm talking about. And you have to prepare in advance by making time and giving friendships a priority so that God can be there for you through friends when the storm clouds come. And I want to tell you again and again, if you're not in some kind of group in this large church and worship is the extent of your diet here, you're missing so much of what God would give you in terms of support in the life of faith. 
And then there was a final intervention or response to Paul's prayer. When they finally did get on the island, here you had a bunch of natives. They could have killed them. Instead, they welcomed these strangers, took care of them all winter. And what's better, as you read the story, Paul had an opportunity to minister to Publius and to all the people there, turned into a mission field. What everybody else thought was going to be a disaster. In fact, at one point, Paul was bit by a viper. They waited for him to die, and instead God saved him, and Paul was used mightily in that winter. I guess the point here is that if you're going through a storm, you know it's not just for you. That maybe when the pain is so intense and the clouds are so thick, you can't believe it. But it's a crucible getting you ready to minister. And if you're a Christian, that's your great job to have a witness. Think of Tony Manis the day he st stood up here. I, I love that man. And I, I, I was amazed when he could just tell us, you know, my cancer's returned. I'm not afraid of dying, but I'm going to keep fighting and I'm going to keep ministering and giving hope. And Tony has a ministry to seriously ill people you and I couldn't touch who are blessed with health. That's what storms do. They give us a, a vocabulary, an entrance into people's lives who are suffering. It's a crucible. It's an opportunity for ministry. It's not lost time. People, you see, watch us when we're in a storm, and they judge the relevance of Jesus in our lives by how we react in crisis. And I can imagine every passenger on that boat, after they'd been with Paul, at least had to take a second look at Jesus when they looked at their own lack of resources and what Paul had that they didn't when a storm hit. When the disciples were caught in a sudden storm with Jesus, they reflected, and this is earlier now in the Gospels, I'm going for a moment. It, it seems to me they reflect the kind of faith where many of us are, to, are today, and it perhaps is our challenge. Because at that point, the disciples were with Jesus in a boat and a storm hit, and in contrast to Paul, listen to the disciples. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. And we often think, you know, he's sleeping. He doesn't hear when we're in trouble. And the disciples went to him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, oh, you of little faith. Why are you so afraid? And then he got up. He rebuked the winds and the waves. And it was completely calm. And the men were amazed. And they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. This is the condition of the disciples before Jesus was crucified and resurrected. They really didn't know he, who he was. They didn't know his power. Then Paul in the Pentecost church, after the resurrection, filled with faith. Look at the difference. He knew Christ was able. He knew Christ wasn't asleep. And he was able to give courage. And that's the kind of faith you and I need to face today's kind of world. We have a Savior who's in control of the storms of our lives. And you need to know that when you cry out, he will intervene. And when he does, your life will never be the same. And just to prove it, uh, I've asked a friend of mine, Alan Austin, to come and share an experience that he had in a storm. I've actually been waiting months to have him tell his story until it was appropriate. But here's living proof that God responds and makes a difference in our lives as the result of a storm. Welcome, Alan. Again, thank you for doing this. Well, I love to ski. That's how it all started. Uh, the snows had come early to the Sierras one winter several years ago, and I was excited on a Saturday in December to be out on the slopes for the first time of the season. It snowed all day as I skied with family and friends, but I still had a wonderful time. Everyone was cold and wet, 
But I wasn't ready to go in at 3.15 when my companions decided to call it a day. Foolishly, I told them that I would take one more run alone and meet them later. Now, a ski area is not like Disneyland or Great America. It's not an artificially created environment that's designed to provide thrills without any real danger. A ski area is a mountain wilderness. It's got a thin veneer of civilization glued over it, but if you break through that veneer, you can have a real wilderness experience, except without a tent or a sleeping bag or food or even matches. And that's what happened to me. I was on top of a mountain in a familiar place where I had been many times before, but the snow was falling so fast and the wind was blowing so hard that I couldn't see. I became disoriented and soon I was badly lost. I learned later that I had accidentally skied off the back of the mountain, out of bounds and into no man's land. Uh, I really wasn't very far from civilization, but since I was lost in a blizzard, it might as well have been miles. I, I spent two days and two nights on the mountain uh, before I was rescued by a National Guard helicopter. Uh, Forty inches of snow fell during that time. I was cold and lonely and hungry. But I was in better shape than my family because I knew that I was all right. And they had to wait and, and wonder, especially after But I was in better shape than my family because I knew that I was all right. And they had to wait and, and wonder, especially after the second night was looking pretty bleak and people were starting to talk about calling off the search. But my wife, Marianne, and my three daughters, Lindsay, Paige, and Blythe, uh, remained brave and optimistic, wise. I heard all about it later, and I wasn't surprised, but I was proud of them nonetheless. Now, I was raised in the church. I've nominally been a Christian my whole life. But I have to admit that I never really took it very seriously. I had questions and doubts, but I didn't try to study or work through them. I just put religion in a box and kept it over in a corner of my life and frankly didn't pay very much attention to it. When I was lost, I, I didn't try to make any deals with God. I'd heard about so-called foxhole conversions where someone who's in a jam will say, please God, if you get me out of this, I'll be a good Christian. And it, it seemed to me that if the insincerity of such an offer was obvious to me, it must surely be even more obvious to God. <laughs> After I was safe at home, however, I heard over and over how many people had prayed for me. I knew it must have helped, but the defining moment came for me when I heard about the prayers of a longtime friend. I realized that he had prayed for me to have God's grace. And that knowledge hit me like a bolt of lightning. You see, looking back at the experience, I remember that when I first became lost, I panicked. My mind raced as I frantically tried to escape the trap in which I found myself. And what saved my life, I think, was that my mind cleared. The panic left me, and I realized that I needed to make a shelter in order to survive. In thinking about it, I realized that God had tapped me on the shoulder had given me the calmness to wait for help and the strength to endure.
Now I'm a committed Christian. Oh, I, I still have questions and doubts, but I study and I try to gain deeper understanding. Instead of just coming to church sporadically, I try to become involved and help other people. My journey has been greatly assisted by the pastors here, particularly uh, by Charlie Campbell, who was there for me when I decided to become serious about my religion, and also by my Bethel teachers, Larry Langdon and Louise Sedera. These people have been God's instruments in my life, but they could not have done their work had God not first used a storm to open my heart so that I could let him in. Thank you. There's another truth in the story, and it has to do with what you heard. Even when storms we encounter are caused by our bad choices, God's grace still intervenes to save us. Alan made a choice to go down the wrong side of the mountain after he'd made a choice to stay too long on the mountain. In our story, Paul told the captain that God had warned him against sailing, to stay in that port for the winter, but the captain overrode Paul's suggestion and went out anyway. And if you think about it, you know, many difficulties and storms in our lives are caused by ignoring clear warning signs from God that we're on the wrong road. We listen to logic, we listen to our lusts, advice from wrong counselors, and we ignore directives that God has made so clear in Scripture. I can tell you for certain, most major messes in my life have been the result of listening to my logic and lust over God's will that I knew ultimately was the way to go, but I didn't want to go there. Last night, I took my grandsons, or two nights ago, to uh, the carnival here in town at Nativity, and there's a wild ride called the Zipper there. And Matthew, who's a little bit adventuresome, thought, you know, I'd like to go on the Zipper, and Grandpa, who's a chicken, thought, uh, that's probably a little aggressive for you, but Uncle John went on with him anyway. And, mother and I, uh, his mother and my daughter, we stood there and watched. And that was really a wild ride. They were getting twisted and whatever, and I watched the whole ride. But Tara, his mother, was watching Matthew's face. And about one-third through the ride, Tara just ran up to the operator and said, you're going to have to stop this. So he stopped it, and Matthew came off a very pale, white, frightened eight-year-old. He learned a lesson. <laughs> he learned that he went against the advice of Grandpa, who knows everything. <laughs> but that he paid a real serious price for not heeding warnings. Did you know there's something more beautiful than that? Even after he'd made a bad choice, he had a mom who loved him so much, a mom who knew him, and a mom who was watching his face and knew just when to come in and shut down the ride and save him. Isn't it good to know that after we make a bad choice, God isn't going to leave us blowing in the wind? Well, you did it. Now you pay for it. But grace intervenes when he says, I'm watching you. And even if that storm, that mess in your life was caused by you, if you want my help, I'm here. I'm there for you. Grace is receiving something we don't deserve. Getting battered by the winds of our bad choices enables us to have a new chance to align our lives according to God's priorities rather than our own lusts and wants. That's what happened to Alan. That's what happened to my grandson in the microcosm. That's what's going to happen to you in the storm that you're in today. So the bottom line good news in this story 
is that God is with us in the storms, giving strength and enabling us to make it through the night, even if they were caused by our own bad choices. You know, there must have been some frightening moments even after Paul told the crew, you're going to make it and we're going to be saved. Remember, they still spent the night in that storm and they ran aground and the waves crashed against that fragile ship. And they had to throw out anchors in the back to keep them from going onto the reef. It's good to know that God is watching, watching over what's happening to us even in the night. There's a great verse that I love. It says, tears may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Have you ever thought about how nighttime makes everything worse? If you have a cold, at least when I do, I, 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 at night my nose stuffs up and it, it's 10 times worse during the night than when you wake up in the morning. And that, it, that's how it is with all kinds of monsters in our life and problems. They just seem to get worse at night. And, and, and we just have to at times throw out anchors of faith and say, okay, God, I know you're watching. You're going to get me through the night. And he will. And maybe you're in a nighttime even this morning in terms of the particular storm you're in. But if you know God is there and you know God's going to be there in the morning and he's going to come with answers, then you can live in a state of optimistic expectancy. You might be uncertain about what a day is going to bring forth, but you know God's going to be there at the end of it. And you can live then with a sunrise mentality rather than a sunset mentality of pessimism. And I believe that's what faith is all about. That trust makes life an adventure, and it's filled with surprises like salvation from a shipwreck, like being found 48 hours later in a snowstorm when they were just about ready to give up hope. I found a poem that I used years ago in Malibu. I haven't seen it for years, but it seemed to fit right uh, into this sermon. I'd like to close with it. When my friends failed me, you substituted. When my loves hurt me, you eased the pain. When I was a failure, you gave me another day. When fear trapped me, you set me free. When life was void, you gave me hope. When pain shadowed me, you walked beside me. When trauma shocked me, you revived me. When death releases me, you will come for me. And when eternity embraces me, you'll welcome me home. My Lord and my God, whom have I on earth or in heaven like unto thee? What a treasure. And that's true for every one of you today. Who have we got in heaven or on earth that's like the living, risen Christ who's watching, who's caring, and who's in control? So what kind of storm is raging in your life? Where are you looking? At the waves and the wind and the impossibilities? Or are, is your focus on God who raises dead things and who works best in graveyards? Of hopelessness and you know the choice is up to us and how we choose is going to have everything to do with the quality of life that we experience and much more important I tell, told you before people read us out there and they're looking after they see all these bad stereotypes of Christians they're looking at us and they're saying what really happens when you know Jesus Christ what impact does he have on your life and I'd like us to be give, able to give the witness of Paul the Apostle I am a Christian. I belong to God. He's in control, and I trust him. And I pray that'll be your testimony this week. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, thank you for the power of this story. Thank you for Alan's story. Thank you for you 
and the hope that knowing you brings to us today. Touch the hearts that need it in a very special way, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.